Hi, this is Rob Call, author of Bottom Up, Tapping the Power of the Connection Revolution, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Have you ever wondered if the effort gathering information from groups to gain new ideas and insights can be worth the effort? My next guest, Rob Call, author of Bottom Up, Tapping the Power of Connection Revolution, shares his views and experiences in helping small business owners ask these questions and using the responses to gain product development insights, discover employee friction points, and boost company valuations. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Rob Call. Rob is author of the book, Bottoms Up, Tapping the Power of the Connection Revolution. He founded opednews.com, a site that attracts over 200,000 unique visitors monthly, hosts the Bob Cal Bottom Up podcast, and credits the bottom-up approach to the popularity of these media. He lives and works in Philadelphia. Welcome, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Rob, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I guess that one of the first ones was a junior high school teacher who uh, I, I, everybody had to write a paper, and um, I wrote one about that described icicles uh, on the street, and he encouraged me with my writing and course, since then, I've made a living as a writer. Uh, not since then, but uh, that's come to be where I've made a, a, a lot of my living. And, and, and even though I've been an entrepreneur, running conferences, inventing products, uh, running a website, it's always hugely involved writing. And having the confidence in my writing has been a, a boon to me. So what did this teacher do or say that showed that he really understood your writing or that you had value to offer that was different than other teachers where you look back and over all the teachers you had, this person stands out. Well, actually, his name was Mr. Rogers. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he gave me an A and he wrote some encouraging words and I had no clue that I could write at that point. I was, I guess, in eighth grade, maybe. And uh, it just gave me an attitude that helped me to really uh, see myself in a different way. What's interesting about that is that everyone listening is managing others. Everyone listening is involved in relationships where a word of encouragement, helping highlight something that someone else is doing can help them see themselves in a new way and lead to tapping all sorts of great potential. The same way that you trace that back, let's fast forward to today. What inspires or guides the direction of your work today? Well, I really got involved. I got fascinated with the idea of bottom-up. Bottom-up is is not something that most people really understand at, at first glance. Uh, people think of it sometimes as grassroots or as um, crowdfunding or wisdom of the crowds or maybe the reviews on Amazon or Yelp. But And that's where I started. I started seeing that with my the website that I created, that the more I involved my users, my readers, my writers, my volunteers, and I, I've, I've generally had 30 or 40 volunteers at any time, 
the more I involved them, the more I let them participate in and included them in decision-making, the better things went for me, the more successful the site was. So that inspired me to try to understand bottom-up more. And, and it really has taken me on a journey so that what I've learned is that bottom-up is programmed deeply into our genes. Uh, humans evolved over the 7 million years since they split on the evolutionary tree from apes to be bottom-up beings, cooperating, helping each other, taking care of each other, being interdependent. And that's why this bottom-up revolution that I write about in my book is so powerful. And that's why I've done the show, uh, my, my own podcast and radio show on bottom-up for the last 10 years. Bottom-up is exploding in, in, in the world of business. And it's because it's in our genes. And people embrace bottom-up because it's the way their brains work. It's the way their neurobiology is designed. So, Rob, um, boil it down for us and synthesize in a sentence. What makes bottom-up different than reaching out to your customer base or crowdsourcing, as you, you mentioned, or bringing the customer's voice into the company? What makes bottom-up distinctive as a philosophy? Well, bottom-up includes bringing the customer's voice into the company. Uh, matter of fact, if you're doing sales, you want to learn to use the language of your customer, the words that your customer uses when you're selling to your customer. That's a bottom-up way of thinking. Bottom-up uses wisdom of the crowd. I mean, there are companies on the web that design products, let's say T-shirts, where they'll put out uh, a half a dozen different designs, and they'll ask their users to pick the one that they like the most, give them feedback about why they like it. They'll tweak the design so that when they finally bring out a product, it's used the wisdom of the crowd. It's used crowdsourcing to help define exactly what the, crowd, the, the product is. And the, the other side of bottom-up, the opposite of bottom-up in, in many ways is top-down. And top-down is, is the way that a business used to operate. It used to be that a business would use a publicist and it would go to some influential people uh, and maybe to magazines. And that would be the way that a brand would be defined, products would be announced, and it's changed now. Don't you still see a lot of top-down operations in business today. I think that that's still quite prevalent. You do, but if a business solely relies on top-down approaches, it's going to be in trouble. And it's it's only going to reach a, a percentage of the possible opportunity that is available to it because more and more people are bottom-up people. And uh, I've done interviews with a whole bunch of different neuroscientists who agree that young people, people born after, say, 1980, their brains are different. They're literally, they, their brains work differently. They see the world differently. They engage with the world differently. And if you're only taking a top-down approach, you're going to miss people born after 1980 in many ways. And, and it, it's really, it, it's, uh, it's just about everybody at this point. So well, that's a significant portion of the population for sure. So sure say, that, say that there's someone listening to this now who's running a company, has a, you know, a couple dozen employees, and wants to sell more into the market with people who are under 35. What's one change that they could make that you would advise them to do in order to gather more information from a bottom-up perspective? Listen more, have a website that it, it does not expect 
to get an instant response from a person in terms of a purchase or a commitment. The bottom-up approach to marketing, for example, is is to build a relationship with somebody, and you usually do that with content. You give away free content in exchange for an email address. Once you get the email address, you put somebody on an autoresponder with a series of different informative emails that they're going to get, uh, and you get them so that they get to know you. Can you tell so us about is, either a company you've worked with or one that you've observed that does this exceptionally well that we could look to as a model? Well, there's one. It's a, a, a company that I consulted with the owner who had an, an old website that was very static and rigid. Uh, the company was involved in running conferences for tech people in uh, big multinational corporations. I mean, his clients included Apple and Comcast and Motorola, and uh, it was in the phone, self mo- mobile phone industry. And okay. uh, his, he basically didn't use his website hardly at all. And, and what I needed to do was to teach him to rethink the functioning of a website so that it could become a center for a community and a place where people would repeatedly go and interact. And rather than it being like a brochure, which uh, a lot of people who still have a kind of top-down mindset think about. And so he had a huge amount of content uh, because he was recording the conferences that he ran. And the idea was to get the content in it format that could be accessible to paid members and uh, completely and a little bit accessible to non-paying members so they would get a tease so they would get an idea of what was available and this is becoming more and more of um, the model for monetizing what was great was he hardly spent anything with me he spent about three thousand dollars on consulting with me then he spent over a hundred fifty thousand dollars paying uh, a top website designer, one of the ones who helped design the New York Times, to actually implement the plans that we put together in terms of the user interface and the algorithms and the functionality of the website. Uh, and then maybe two years later, he sold it with that new website. He sold his company for over a million dollars. And that was a pretty gratifying outcome for that. And that surely wouldn't have been the valuation of his company without those changes, would it? Oh my God! If if anybody went to the original website that he had, it would have uh, been it, it wouldn't have sold because it, it, it was such a central part of the business too. Everyone listening to this today has to re- really zero in on this one phrase that Rob just clued us into. It's building a community with your customers, building it with your prospects, even including your competition. Enable to help educate people because if you're seen as the source of authority online, that will help people come to you and see your your company, your brand as authoritative, trusted, and valuable in their world. And they're not going to interact with you. They're not going to build that community unless you have that positioning. Wouldn't you agree, Rob? Absolutely. And, And a big part of it is the technology that allows people to have that interaction and and to gradually ease into it. You know, there's been a lot of research uh, on 
the different levels of interaction that people have with websites. I mean, the, the simplest interaction level is just to look at the website. The next is to maybe to click on a like. The next is to add a comment. The next is to to submit content. And and you, you want to let people ease into those different levels and and realize that somebody is not going to go to your website and say, ah, here's this website. I'm going to buy something right now. You know, Amazon gets that because they've built a relationship with 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 customers. Uh, but if you're just starting out, it takes time to build it, and you do it with information and with back and forth communication and, and relationship. Wouldn't you say that it's easier for a company, a small business, say, to work their social media channels on the existing social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn? rather than try to get them to do all those interactions on a website so that people coming there are already familiar with those actions and activities that you described, looking and clicking and commenting and sharing? It may be, but I really think it's essential to have a website. You, you, you need a platform. A platform includes information about you, whether you're an author, a service provider, or a business selling products. You have to have a platform that tells about who you are, that gives your credibility, which is endorsements, that that describes what you offer, and that also includes the links to those social media. And social media are very valuable and important. And usually it's the social media that get people to your website, but it's the site where you close the deal. Uh, so they're all important. When you're putting together a platform, it's a collection of relationships. It's a whole system that you need to put together. And you need to have all the pieces for it. It's, and it's not that complicated. You have a Facebook page. And on the Facebook page, you have an about page where it links to your website. And it links to your Twitter account. And it links to your LinkedIn. And it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's a, it may seem a lot if you're just getting started on it. But it's not that hard to do. And what can people look for once they start to put these links in place? What types of ways can they measure the success of this bottom-up approach? Well, one thing that's really important, as I mentioned, is, is giving away information. And you do it in exchange for uh, uh, somebody's email. So you want to build a mailing list. Uh, I, I just attended a, 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 a kind of a seminar on, on social media marketing. And, and people agreed that the, the, the email is the most effective way to actually bring in money. Social media will get you attention. Uh, because I publish a news and opinion site, opednews.com, uh, I'm looking to get eyeballs. I'm looking to get page views for articles. And uh, I ha I I'm partially monetized by uh, advertising, which is based on clicks and based on views, per, uh, a thousand views. So uh, I can use social media, uh, and it can be very effective, particularly uh, Facebook and Twitter, you really, if you're trying to sell something, you want to get the email address. And, and so you use the social media to help people find you. They go to your site. You've got some free information, like five things that make what you're trying to do easier or something like that. And then you give that to them for free in exchange for them giving you your email address to, so that you can put them on a mailing list. So the mailing list is one very concrete way to do it. Another is page views as well. Okay. So people are looking at their page views and are looking at being able to convert views into building their mailing list. Those are good yeah. metrics that every small business owner ought to be looking at. In terms of bottom-up 
thinking in a, a small business? How do you use bottom-up thinking in order to manage more effectively? This is something that goes back a good number of decades. Peter Drucker was one of the first people to get into uh, this kind of a bottom-up approach to management. And what he did was he looked at the way the Japanese were doing it because the Japanese were going through a business revolution that was making them incredibly competitive. And what he found is that they got their workers to think with the idea of we, not I. We thinking. Got the workers to think that they were part of a team. And they did that by giving the workers respect and giving them the power to make local decisions so that not everything was happening at a centralized, top-down level. And I think that's a really important part of it. You have to trust your workers and you have to give them some responsibility in them, let them make decisions and let them feed up through the system, through the hierarchy, ideas. Uh, what's happening is that there are new models of management that are non, totally non-hierarchical. It's not like you have different tiers of management. You've got people who are working, each taking different responsibilities. And it's not necessarily simpler, but it because it gives people a different kind of uh, feel about their relationship to the company. It can be very powerful. And uh, one, of the, one of the big companies doing it is Zappos. It's a, it's a billion-dollar company that's owned by Amazon. And they're using this model that's called holacracy. But you don't have to do that extreme of a, an approach. Uh, you can just start trusting your employees and making a sy- systematic effort at getting their input on everything they do, even the smallest things. Look at, look, look at ways to identify patterns. Again, patterns. And the employees can help to make things work better. Does it make sense to ask your employees questions if, you're not, if you've already made a decision? For instance, if you're asking your employees what benefits they'd like covered in their health plan, but you know that you can only afford two choices of health plan to offer, wouldn't that lead to a a backfiring of the kind of momentum and relationship that you want to create? Well, hopefully you'll ask your employee, if there's two choices that you can live with, let the the employees make the decision. Giving them that power could make them a lot happier and a lot more satisfied with the decision. Ideally, you want to go and ask the employees, what are the things that are important to you in terms of your health care insurance? And then go to your health care insurers and say, these are the things that our employees care about. Tell us about how you can implement those. Again, if you, it, I think that there's a, a limit to who you want to ask at certain times so that you can act on that information. Can you give us some guidance in that department? Say that we were thinking of looking to expand a product into a new market you would surely want to ask the people who were involved in giving you useful input into determining which of these markets you wanted to approach because there are different costs involved in approaching different markets based upon their media, the demographics, and so on. But you would be asking the people who had the most relevant input, not everyone in the firm. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Uh, if you're looking at bringing out a new product, you you want to look at the customer base. You want to learn what they're needing, what they identify as their needs, what they're currently purchasing or buying, and how they see the market. And this is bottom-up market research.
it's it's you know, for for over ten years now, I've been getting Google alerts on the word bottom up, and one of the most common ones that comes up is how different companies are taking a bottom up approach to looking at their marketing and the product development. So you're going to want to look at the customer base. You're going to want to look at what words they use. You're going to look at what they're currently using. You're going to want to talk to the salespeople and the distribution chain. And those are the different elements in doing a kind of a bottom-up exploration. It's one thing to come up with an idea and say, hey, this is a great idea. But it's another thing to see how that idea resonates from the bottom-up. So if a group of managers or business owners are deciding to enhance a product and make investments in enhancing that product, and they want some input from the customer base, what would you suggest as maybe two or three questions that are not ordinarily asked, but to really get and and embrace a bottom-up philosophy, you would want them to ask that could uncover insights that ordinarily might not um, come out of that research? I'd want to know what who the customer base is and uh, who they're trying to expand to if they're trying to expand the customer base. And then um, once I get an idea of who the customer base is and the expanded base, then I could have a clearer picture of the kind of questions to ask. So are you ready for the, my quest for the best lightning round? Go for it. What are the key components of your routine for daily success? I have a team that I work with, and I keep in touch with them on a regular basis. I work at home, and it's all digital. Uh, And so it's a matter of staying on top of my emails um, and uh, kind of circulating around through my emails and, and staying in touch with everybody and trying to get a feel for what they're needing and keeping them happy and uh, keeping them on on track. What's your favorite way to get unstuck? Favorite way to get unstuck? Probably go to the gym and get my mind off of everything. I play play racquetball, so uh, that puts me into a totally different state. That's right. And there's not much else you could be thinking about when you're playing racquetball, huh? Yeah. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Well, probably the one that I use a lot is is listen. Uh, you know, as a as a as a host of a radio show, uh, a bottom up show, uh, I most of my time is spent listening. Uh, if, and every now and then I'll interrupt or I'll, I'll take a, a, go in for a, at a pause. And but it's 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 listening. I'd say listening. And what would you say is the biggest misconception that business owners have about using bottom-up that you've found in your work consulting with them and going to conferences and speaking about this topic? Go ahead. That's easy. Most people think about social media and how they need to have a lot of followers to use social media. And uh, I use social media a real lot to find stuff out. In other words, it doesn't matter how many followers I have. You can use social media to do searches. You can look for tags. If you're trying to find out something, you can keep track of your competition. You can keep track of of trends. You can keep track of specific keywords that are key to your business. None of that involves you having a million or 10 million followers or anything like that. Those are all tools, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, where you can use those 
social media in really powerful ways that don't require that you have a single follower at all. Rob, that's terrific. I really appreciate you and your contributions to my quest for the best, sharing with us today some great ideas about you know how to get involved with when you're running a, a, a site like um, for sharing ideas like using with opednews.com, how to involve your writers and volunteers to get more insights, how to use the bottom-up philosophy in order to improve our websites and to gain valuable insights into what's trending, giving us the example of how you were able to help someone redesign their site to increase the valuation of their business. All of these ideas are really, really useful. And I want to thank you for sharing them with us on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, 
and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.